Welcome to Dig It. I'm Edge with my co-host Corey from Corey's Digs. Today we have a very special guest who we're going to introduce in just a moment. But up first, we're going to discuss my latest article published on Corey's Digs regarding CBDCs. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing great. I'm excited to get rolling on this. Yeah, you put together a great article. I love it. Love it. It's it's right up my alley because you can see, you basically took and consolidated and gathered all the information of where they are at with their pilot projects um, on the CBDCs. And so just tell people about that for a minute. Sure. I, I had heard about one project that was an international sort of a collaboration. And when I started looking into that, I was actually just blown away by the fact that there are dozens and dozens of these sort of projects going on. So I really wanted to give more of a full scope in this report to give people a sense of just how massive this CBDC initiative really is and bring more attention to CBDCs because I do think that this is the biggest threat against our freedom. And we are very distracted with so many other things going on right now. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. And so we are yeah. bringing on with us Catherine Austin Fitz to help us get to the bottom of some of this. And I'm sure she needs no introduction to our audience, but we're going to give her an introduction anyway. She's the former United States Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development uh, during the George H.W. Bush presidency, investment banker and former managing director of Dillon Reed & Company, founded Hamilton Securities. And my absolute favorite is the founder of the Solari Report, which is at solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com, which in my opinion is the most powerful and incredible accomplishment because she has been waking up millions of people to the truth of what's happening on a global scale. And she has the ability to deliver the information in such a concise manner that's digestible for people. Um, which I love because you know how I tend to ramble. <laughs> she explains <laughs> things so well. Uh, she's as compassionate as she is brilliant, and I am honored to call her a friend and be in cahoots with her. So welcome, Catherine. We finally got you on here. <laughs> Corey, I, I can't, I'm very complimented by that introduction because it's what I would have said about you. <laughs> Aw, <laughs> thank Corey you. Corey makes things so understandable and accessible. well we have a lot of questions we want to get to and i'm gonna let ed roll out the first one because it's a really good one i think that's probably on a lot of people's minds Catherine, it's really an honor to have you on the show i'm so glad to finally meet you i have followed your work i love everything that you're doing and I do love how you simplify things for people who are just not as financially minded as you are and you watch global markets closely and kind of break it down for people. So Catherine, since you watch these global markets closely, many are searching for what they call the black swan event that triggers the next financial crisis in the same way that the subprime mortgages triggered the 2008 financial crisis. So there's many weak links in the global debt bubble, whether it's you know Japan and their debt crisis, which is linked to the US debt or Europe's energy and sovereign debt crisis or China's Evergrande default or Sri Lanka's financial collapse or even the forced default by the West of Russia's, Russia's debt. So 
what do you think is the first domino to fall that sets off a chain reaction? And when do you think that's going to happen or has it already happened? So for some reason, we're all fixated on the big bang that's coming. So this started in 1970, the, the organizing our framework into the big bang that's coming. And I want to completely extinguish that framework because we are in, we, we are not in a fragile financial system. We are in a coup and, and think of this as a war and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to build and anticipate the end of the war because we'd like to win the war, number one. But number two, the war is happening every day. So I used to work as an investment advisor. I don't anymore. But uh, it would always be interesting because my clients would start working with me and they'd say, you know, um, this big bang, this black swan is coming and it's going to steal a lot of my money. How do I protect myself? And I said, no. You look at what the Federal Reserve is doing in inflation, they're stealing your money daily. <laughs> <laughs> so here are the thousand ways they're stealing your money every day, day after day after day, you know, in the bread and butter of your daily life and business. And that's what we've got to attend to. Don't worry about the big out of the box. You know, don't worry about the tsunami. Um, what I want you to worry about is how you're getting chipped and inflated away every day. So, gotcha. so, so we the, the financial system in one sense is fragile because if there's no rule of law you can't have a financial system and right now we've engineered a financial system where some parties are above the law and they're now proceeding in exceptionally criminal ways and those criminal ways have taken over more and more assets and more and more assets and more and more assets and we're reaching the point where you know, in any coup d'etat, you have to go from the old system to the new system. And the new system is not something we want to go to. So the, what I'm trying to say is the black swan event is, is right now. It's happening. We're in it. Right. Okay? It's, it's, and, not, it's not a single event. It's like a death by a thousand cuts sort of thing is what you're saying. Well, it's a war. And a war has many battles before it's won or lost. We, the financial coup started in fiscal 1998. Since fiscal 1998, from fiscal 1998 to 2015, $21 trillion is, is missing from the US government. At the time that that $21 trillion was calculated, the US government officially had $21 trillion of debt. So if you have a system where every dollar that you borrow is stolen out the back door, you know, we're talking about you know, imagine a bank where the back door is open and the money's pour all the money you deposit is pouring out the back door. Right. Okay. That started in fiscal 1998. And it's a testimony to how wealthy the United States is huh? that we're still all standing. So black swan event, I would say, number one, started with the engineering of massive financial fraud in literally a, a financial coup d'etat. I can talk about a lot more about that if you want. And as Corey knows, I have a lot of writings and materials on that. But then we go into the financial crisis, where to engineer the financial crew, you had to issue a lot of financial fraud. And in the financial crisis, they were able to take that fraud, roll it up and stick it back to the taxpayer in the United States. 
And that emboldened them tremendously because, you know, crime that pays is crime that stays. You know, the more crime you get away with, you double down. And so the fraud and the financial shenanigans continued after the financial crisis with the central banks putting all the sovereign governments in a debt, debt trap. So you saw until the financial crisis, you saw the G7 and the developed world dramatically put their governments in a debt trap. But then the emerging markets in China put their governments in the debt trap coming out of the financial crisis until now. So now you've got 190 plus governments more or less in a debt trap, minus Russia and a few others that have been more careful. And, and what are you going to do? Well, you're going to take your financial coup. And now that you got all the sovereign governments in a debt trap, you're going to consolidate it into a coup. And that's exactly what the going direct reset was, of which COVID-19 was just part of that operation. And it's continuing. So COVID, the, the going direct reset started on August 22nd, 2019, or it was voted on and approved by the G Central Central Bankers. And then they proceeded into the repo market in September of 2019. Um, and then proceeded, we know what happened in March 20. And we went into a process of massive global disaster capitalism so think of this as the going direct reset as a game of insiders and outsiders. The outsiders' businesses were declared non-essential. They shut them all down. The insiders scarfed up their market share and could pick up a lot of their real estate and other assets for cheap. You know, they needed to sell their, their, you know, their property to, you know, to feed their kids. Um, so they made a fortune. We have many more billionaires, you know, public market up. Okay, that game has run its course. And the question is, what's next? So, of course, one of the rabbits you always pull out of the hat is, is the war. So we've got the Ukraine war. But we have, you know, the, the various parties trying to figure out how basically they can destroy all global sovereignty by running pandemics through the WHO and literally create a global government through the, you know, the healthcare crisis mechanism. But there are other cartels competing to do it. And of course, the most important one is the one you just wrote about, which is the Bank of International Settlements is leading an effort to convert to a complete transaction control grid that can be centrally controlled. So I'm sure you've seen that lovely video of Karsten's, um, Augustine Karsten's at the IMF global payment uh, panel. In, yes. Uh, right. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, if, if I'll just mention this, if you go to Solaria.com and click on cash every day, you'll pull up two videos. And one is Augustine Carstens, the head of the Bank of International Settlements, explaining why with CBDC, they can make the rules and enforce them centrally. And it's very chilling because let's make no mistake about it. Central means the Bank of International Settlement, which is a private bank. Its information is secret and confidential. And according to international treaty, it's above the law. Wow. Right. And so now we're talking about giving an institution which is above all national and individual sovereignty, complete direct central control through the systems and through its members and owners, um, complete control of our ability to transact. And if, if you watch that video in Carson's, I know you've done it. Um, basically, he explains uh, a system where if they don't want you going more than five miles from their home, you, you can't. Or if they don't want you buying pizza, you can't. All the rules can be basically run and controlled centrally with AI and software. It's quite right. extraordinary. And 
one of the things I really enjoyed about your article is when I tried to start warning people about this, you know, they can't fathom it. They can't right. fathom why anybody would want that kind of central control because they can't fathom not only the wealth that could be created for a small group of people, but why anybody would want to live in that world. So, you know, if you, if you have empathy for other human beings and you view humans as members of your species, you wouldn't want to do that. So a lot of people have trouble understanding. So the first thing I did to get them to understand was to watch the Carson's video. And it's amazing because people who just couldn't kind of take me seriously would watch it. And suddenly they'd get scared. They'd realize, holy cow, and, and get scared. The second video in that same group on our homepage is Richard Warner, arguably the top central banking academic scholar in the world, explaining that he's been told by the central bankers they're going to chip us. And that's the plan. Wow. So. Uh -huh. Right. So if you haven't seen that one, you absolutely, Richard Werner disclosed that in the, his presentation in NAMO, which was extraordinary. And you can see that below the Carson's video. But then the third thing is we're starting to get very intelligent people looking in deeply to what these guys are up to. And we, uh, Corey knows, we wrote a wrap up. Uh, John Titus wrote it on CBDC and she wrote the vaccine passport piece it was so good we had to turn it into a separate book and everybody should go to Corey's website and get it. And, and so we had both CBDC and vaccine passports. We published them in separate, separate book form. And, and, you know, I've been warning Titus how bad it was. And he, you know, he, he knows that, that I'm not going to exaggerate or mislead him, but he dove in and he, he started to write it. And after he finished, he came back to me and he said, Oh my God. Mm -hmm. You're right. They're going to use humans as collateral. He said, this is frightening. And, you know, it took deep diving it. And so, you know, and so you've done the same. You've gone in and you've deep, you know, you've really gone in to see all these different plans and things that are sort of forming to come together into a big centralized control hole. And you're seeing how bad it is and communicating that to others. And I think, um, I just saw a poll of the European Union and what the general population, how the general population feels about CBDC. And they're all saying, we don't want it. <laughs> no, I got, yes, I was, I, right. I noticed that too. The, the general population has outright rejected this, but they are just going full steam ahead. Right. And so that's why, you know, we do, we, we used to call it cash Friday and now it's cash every day. Mm -hmm. You know, we're telling people, look, you know, take, You've got to rebuild the analog part of the financial system, whether you use cash, whether you use barter, whether you do local currencies, whether you use silver and coin. We have a great calculator on the Salary Report called the, the Silver and Gold Payment Calculator. So if you just want to start a community currency on the just do it method, you can use your silver and gold coins. So excellent. Yeah. And we're doing a big publication for the second quarter wrap up with a lot of information, not only on how to do that, but the different states that are, are taking state legislative acts and to make it much easier. My state of Tennessee just dropped the sales tax on precious metals so we could start to use them as local currency. And of course, under the constitutional laws, you know, there's nothing the feds can do to stop it. 
You know what? On that point, I'm going to skip ahead to a question that I had written down. So you remember when I was working on my book? <laughs> so I see the players and the patterns, but I don't, I don't understand the financial industry quite the way you do. And so one of the things I was looking into was legislation having to do with, with cash. And I had found that there were no federal laws, but there were actually some cities and states that had passed legislation banning businesses from refusing to accept cash. And I was more surprised by the fact that those were in like Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, Philadelphia, DC, and New York. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I'm wondering- You made a list of the states that do the most You know, in in 1998, the Department of Justice spokesperson told a reporter I was working with that the U.S. economy longers $500 billion to a trillion dollars of all illegal monies. Mm -hmm. And if you make a list of the states that are the top 10 in those, what you'll find is they're always the ones that are pushing this stuff. Hmm. Oh, I'm telling you, crime that pays is crime that stays. Yeah. We're dealing with it. We have a serious organized crime problem here. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so I'm wondering, is there on that level, should people be, you know, uh, reaching out to their legislators and saying, Hey, we need to get some legislation to protect our cash, to protect, like you just mentioned, you know, the tax on silver and gold. Is there something we should do from that standpoint? Yeah. So we're going to publish something for the second quarter wrap up that describes, here's what you want to tell your state legislators. But let me walk through what we're going to say. The first thing you you need to tell your state legislatures is what is the problem? There's no financial or economic problem. Whatever financial and economic problems we have, they are a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is a governance problem. We have a federal government which has lost its sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And it is literally a creature of the banks and you know, a variety of different forces. And if we are going to protect our individual sovereignty, we need our state and county governments to hold the line and our sheriffs. Right. So, so the question for any state is, can they protect sovereignty? And can they protect it at the state level and the city and the county level, you know, and support the sheriffs supporting it usually at a county level. Now, what does that mean? To protect sovereignty, both the state sovereignty and the local sovereignty, we need a variety of different systems to work, but three primary. The first is we need to have information systems and digital systems that are not controlled by our enemies. So for example, when the new group came into Greece in 2012 and we're gonna try and take the Greece out of the EU, they discovered that the bankers controlled all the information and payment systems that the taxation collections ran on and their, you know, their bank accounts ran on and they were literally a captive of their enemy. So for example, when I was assistant secretary of housing, I would try and get the data, the accounting data for my operation that I needed to see if we were in compliance with the law or not. Right. And the defense contractor that ran all those payment systems would refuse to give it to me. <laughs> okay. So, so first of all, you've got to have communication systems. Even if we use carrier pigeons, you've got to have communication systems that have integrity. One of the greatest performs I've ever heard is Bill Binney said, every homeschooler should chart to teach their kids how to do encryption and how to do cryptography 
He said, if we can have hundreds of homegrown systems that are constantly changing every day, don't mm-hmm. drive them crazy. They won't be able to deal with it. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> okay, but but right, we've got to deal. You got to you've got to develop information sovereignty. So information sovereignty is in many respects step one. Even if you take things analog, but whatever you do digital, we've got to create information sovereignty. And so there's got to be privacy for us. That's number one. Right. Number two, whatever you do to make the money work, it can't work if you don't have enough food to feed people. Right. So. You can build the greatest state financial system. And if you haven't provided for sufficient food, it's not, you know, it's, it's, you're going to get a mess. So there is a great deal we can do to change the laws, both the financing and venture capital laws, as well as the food safety laws and rules related to the transportation and slaughtering and processing of, of everything from meat to, uh, you know, all different kinds of food to explode the liquidity in the markets and local food, local processing, local distribution. That's a great business. You know, we can always grow better, more nutritious food close to home than it doesn't make economic sense to import it in from thousands of miles away, particularly given what's going on now. So, so you have to attend to radically improve the nutrition and health of your population with the nutrition and health of your local food. And so, not through their indoor vertical growing facilities. Well, in some places you may need some of those. You know, it's funny. I have a great subscriber who's doing them in her house. <laughs> right. Well, that's different. Right. That's different. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so we can use those technologies and tools well, but the focus here should be on, you know, the fundamental economics that make sense right. are we're healthy our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, at if you look at food economics on an integrated basis, the economics that are the most efficient are those that that basically you know reduce our healthcare expenses by ninety five percent. Okay, so let me keep going. The last thing a state needs to do is to provide a platform for small business and families and communities to transact safely and honestly and with privacy. Mm-hmm. The first thing they should all do is start a state bank like North Dakota. Right. You need you need a bank. Now, this is not a bank to take deposits or to compete with their local banks. If you want to have a strong economy, you want lots and lots of local banks and local credit unions. But they need to be protected from what I call the financial bazooka of the central banks. Mm-hmm. So if you have a state bank that's acting as a wholesaler to support and defend them against the sort of Fed cycle and games, right. you know, you're going to be much stronger and more stable because you want uh, you want great local banks and credit unions. You want a lot of them and you want them in a position to facilitate doing a lot of the things in communities we need to do financially. So that's one. The second thing, and you can do it with a state bank or separate, every state, in my opinion, needs a depository. We need a depository for gold and silver that the state, state agencies, municipal agencies, and families in that state buy. So Texas is in the lead. They've built a state depository. Um, but we also need a state depository to protect, you know, we need to be able to archive our data and other valuables. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes is in a digital age, data about money is worth more than money. So a state depository can help us archive and protect our archives in a situation where you have, you know, I'll be blunt, weather warfare 
and other kind of covert shenanigans going on. So states need a depository and the state has the authority and ability with a state guard or militia to really protect that organization. So, and in my opinion, it needs the authority of government. It needs the authority of a sovereign government. Okay, the next thing we need to do is we need to start not only transacting locally, but as we transact locally, we need to start talking locally. So one of the great things that has come to Cash Friday and Cash Every Day is people are paying with cash. And the next thing you know, they're talking to the proprietor about why they're paying cash and what's going on. We had one wonderful subscriber walk in, uh, right in and she said, you know, I've been paying my dry cleaner cash. And I started to talk to him and it turns out he loses $2,500 a month to credit card charges. Oh yeah. And, and if everybody paid him cash, he could pocket that $2,500, which means he would have a decent wage. The right. other thing I learned talking to him was that the cost of hangers has skyrocketed. So now we're all recycling our hangers because we just throw them out. And we don't like doing that. So we're just taking them all back. So now he's, she said, I'm talking to all his customers. I'm telling them all to pay cash and, and to recycle <laughs> their hangers. And so awesome. just through a conversation, you're starting to find opportunities to build prosperity locally. It's, it's, cause it's never one big thing. It's thousands of little things. Okay. Now what comes out of those conversations is the ability to start doing local barter and local currencies. As I said, if you go look at the silver and gold ca uh, payment calculator, um, silver and gold, our money.com, it shows you in 150 different currencies, how to just start transacting and paying with gold and silver. And I'm not suggesting that that is the best way to do a local currency, but it's the only way I know to do it where you don't have to have an organization. You don't have to make rules. You don't have to agree. You just do it. And over right. time, as you're doing it, you know, other things will come out. Now, if you do that, if you can get a local currency going, the time has come to get everybody in the room, the local schools, the local community college, the local banks, the local credit unions, the small business, you know, everybody who's, um, you know, I used to say rotary, except as soon as I found out that they were donating money to the who, I stopped using the rotary, but everybody used to be in the rotary. And, and you get them in a room and you start talking about, okay, how are we going to start financing ourselves and each other without letting the bad guys in? If you take 100 small businesses in any community and you go through all the IRA and retirement accounts that they are providing or that their employees are doing, they are financing the companies that are using dirty tricks to steal all their market share. Hmm. Now, why are we financing our enemy? Why don't we finance ourselves in a way that we can make money? Because there are many, many opportunities if we start to also circulate equity locally. And I'll tell you what the biggest one is. Can you guess? Hmm. What is the biggest financial drain on communities? The biggest financial drain, far none. You just said health was one, right? Health is one. It's a huge. Health is a big one. I would say it's number two. This is number one. So many things are popping in my head. <laughs> <laughs> for, for 15 to 20 years, everyone in a community raises and educates their children. And then after they finish expending that extraordinary investment in their children, mm -hmm. their children leave to go to the city to work for their competitors and help their competitors take over their business. 
Right. Okay. And you know, the number one thing that, that lifts a stock price, you know, it's both cost of capital, but the reason, one of the reasons corporations so outtrade small business is because they have a deep bench. You know, if all your players, you know, get, get disabled for some reason, they got a whole nother bench. They got three more pitchers they can bring up during the game. Okay. So, so why are we taking our most valuable, you know, the most valuable creator of economy in a place and basically doing all the work to build it and then shipping it off to the people who are trying to kill us. Right. It makes absolutely no sense. So, so if you get together with your local schools and, and you start to talk about, okay, how are we going to circulate equity so our young people have the entrepreneurial opportunity they need to build equity and build family wealth on Main Street? And the opportunity is there. It's the biggest capital gains opportunity in America. And that's why if you look at what these guys are trying to do with complete transactional control, they want to own and control all the land and real estate before new technology creates that wealth. It's creating that wealth now. And that's what they want to grab. And the reason they're trying to persuade us all that the end of the world is coming is they can buy it all and get control of it cheaper than if we know that there's an incredible opportunity and it's going to create ma- massive wealth. Right. 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 So let me ask you this. Uh, is how do, you, how do you think, going back to, let's go, let's go to Congress for a minute here. So how do you think they're going to try and get around Congress? Because it's clear they're trying. They're, they're trying. They're not going to try and get around Congress. Powell has made it very clear he intends to go for authorizing legislation. He does not have the legal construct he needs to do CBDCs. If he's going to do CBDCs, he said repeatedly, he will go for authorizing legislation. Now, if he tries to go, I hope he doesn't go for authorizing legislation because then you're in a war. And if he said repeatedly he has to, any lawyer who goes through the details of this, and John Titus is the person, perfect person to walk you through, he's got to get law. He doesn't have law behind him. Not to say the federal government hasn't done a few things like taxation without the law behind them. So I'm not saying they, they couldn't try and do it, but he would be crazy to do that as long as the constitution stands, you know, and I'm not saying that they're not trying to rip up the constitution. That's another thing we have to stop them from doing, but I, I don't think Capel is going to go ahead without authorizing legislation. If he tries to go forward without authorizing legislation, he's going to have an unbelievable war. What about using commercial banks as intermediaries is that a way to sidestep this legality issue with the fed having issuing cbdc's directly to individuals i don't think that will get him out of the trick box i really don't and i think if they do you know here's the issue if they open individual accounts, who's going to do the tech support, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to do the customer service? There's no way the New York Fed member banks want to do the retail customer service. And of course, the, the credit unions and, and banks are apoplectic that they're about to be cut out. 
So if he's going to be politic, the way to do it is to include the small banks and credit unions, essentially to do all the tech support. Um, here's the reality. Nothing, what we're talking about is instituting a slavery system. And there's nothing Jerome Powell can do or the commercial banks or credit unions to make this look nice. Right. It's complete central control. And, and they are using, you know, think of it this way. We've had so much financial fraud on this planet that there is a shortage of collateral. Now, do you understand what I mean when I say that? Elaborate. Okay. So let's say during the financial crisis, when the bailouts came, $8 trillion would would pay off all the mortgages in the country, the single family mortgages. And yet the, the bailouts were 27 trillion, which was more than three times what it would take to pay off all the single family mortgages. Now, how can that possibly be? That can possibly be if you have mortgage fraud. So you've issued, you know, when I was assistant secretary of housing or worked at HUD, I would find city blocks where, you know, our foreclosure property said we had 10 properties there, but there was no, you know, it was an empty lot. But somebody had been issuing mortgages on houses that were supposed to be in that empty lot, but it was an empty lot. You know, so, so if I create, let's say on, you know, I have, I have FHA defaulted properties and I create 10 mortgages on each house and I put them in a pool, an FHA insured pool, which I, 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 um, I securitized with Ginnie Mae, I can have literally, you know, trillions of dollars of full faith and credit mortgage-backed securities in the market for which there are no houses. Wow. And I believe absolutely that was happening. And I can explain it in a lot more detail. Um, it's one of the reasons I ended up litigating with the federal government for 11 years, because I had a database and was proceeding to tie what they said the outstanding mortgages were to the housing data you know, and the next thing I know, they, you know, they seize my offices, seize all, all my data. It took me six years to get it out from port control. And by that time, mm -hmm. you know, the world had passed on. Anyway, you know, the, so that's a different conversation for a different day. But there is extraordinary mortgage fraud on the planet. And the way they're going to solve it is to use humans to plug the hole. <laughs> so the humans are going to be the collateral in the system. Hmm. So yeah. you think so? So physical banks, you don't see physical banks going anywhere. Not not immediately. But remember, this is going to be a step. Once they right. get the whole system in place, it's just a matter of time until they can either take out the the banks or take out the, um, you know, or replace them with tech companies. I mean, here's what I would do if I was running a community bank or a credit union. What I would understand is we can have a centralized system or we can have a decentralized system. And we either, we either start to decentralizing or, or we're toast. There's no way to get along with a centralized vision. Right. There's no way. It's, it's kind of like, you know, thinking you can get into a tiger's den and, you know, take a vacation there for two weeks with your family and kids. It's not, right. <laughs> you know, you're talking about a fundamental in incompatibility between species. You cannot accept a centralized and a centrally controlled transaction grid, or we will enter into slavery. They're planning, if you watch that Richard Werner video, he's very clear, they're planning on chipping us. Right. And right. if you study the history of the African slave trade, my analysis says 
one of the reasons they canceled it was because they couldn't perfect collateral. Now with digital technology and shipping, they can perfect the collateral. You know, they can prove that that is Corey Lynn and they finance Corey at a 50% loan to value and she's collateral for this, this, and this in the financial system, you know, right. and, and they can tie you to, to their, their liability and their asset positions. Hmm. It's hmm. called slavery. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. we're seeing, and- we're seeing glimpses of that in China with their pilot program, which is expanding ever more um, of the digital enslavement system. Right. One of the things I have to tell you, there was a big cat fight not that long ago. Um, the Biden administration proposed a person for control of the currency who had written a article for the Vanderbilt Law Review um, not that long before she was nominated. And in it, she basically proposed a CBDC system. And she said, you know, there's no problem dealing with inflation with a CBDC system. If inflation kicks off, just deduct money out of everybody's bank account. Just take it, right? Yep. And it was wonderful because she was so clear about what the real plan was. And, and what this means also is taxation without representation. If they, want to, if they want to institute a tax or get paid a tax or raise taxes, they just take it from your account. Right. You have no say. Right. Yeah. Well, we saw them trying to do that where, what was that, last year when they were trying to get, talking about the IRS getting access to our accounts and everyone right. raised hell right. about it and they backed off. Right. But that's why they're doing all that software to make sure they can see what you're buying and how you're buying and can modify it and blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, I forget the name of the firm that is, you know, is leading the effort. But Are you that's talking about built- the report that I did on Yodley and Investnet where they're exactly. in, into the right. accounts and they're tied right. in with BlackRock? Right. Yeah. So, so, so what they're trying to do is build up to a social credit system where they can exercise complete dictatorial control right right so we see china today one i think the health minister in china said they anticipate five more years of lockdowns and that's because (laughs) china's slowing you know global trade is slowing china's slowing down they're going from six percent growth to no growth they've got an aging population and to handle the economic transition they're basically instituting complete control under the you know under the guise of the magic virus Right. So what do you see happening with all the uh, digital wallets, which I know you and I are both trying to work really hard at getting out of and switching over to cash and checks as much as possible. Um, but, but with some of them, like I just ran into a problem last month where they're now requiring a photo ID of me. And I said, well, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. So. And I've run into this because, you know, for, I'm an investment advisor. And so when you when you are part of the SEC overseeing system, I mean, this started way back when, when I was on Wall Street, yeah. you end up with photos and you end up with biometrics and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm doing that now for my Dutch residency. So, so, so there's always some of that, but and I guess, you know, for my, for my driver's license and my gun license, I have a photo ID. Yeah. So, um, you know, so there's some of that. And if you look at the arguments in the civil service on why they want that, I can, I can truly understand because 
they're also dealing with a highly corrupt population, unfortunately. It doesn't have to be that way. But right. um, I think what we need to do, and we still have the power to do it, is again, rebuild the analog si side of the system and stop depending on or using a lot of this different technology. So, right. um, uh, you know, you had a great piece that you wrote called Lucent Technologies Grip. And um, there is a great deal that we can do to use technology judiciously and not get played by it. So, you know, I told you I just got blocked by one of the apps I use for communication. We're going to bring up a private one. So yeah. we brought up, Solaria brought up a private uh, social media for subscribers. And now internally, our team's going to bring up a, essentially a, you know, a private version of Telegram so that we can communicate that way nice um but it'll be private and right. and uh, i just think we've got to get off of these things right oh i agree i agree so and do you think they're going to succeed with the cbdc's so i think there is a push for central control and i think that push will fail ultimately and um and you know, my entire focus is to do everything I can to contri contribute to a failure. Right. And I have no fear. I don't think about, well, what am I going to do if they succeed? Because one of the things I know is I won't be alive in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you so think, we have, no, you think it's that far out if they succeed? Well, I think we have <laughs> two pathways and one pathway you know, we have no chance because we'll be slaves. Right. And, and the other pathway we're going to have to invent. And it looks difficult now, except when you think about the alternative, it doesn't look so difficult to give it our all, right? Right, right. So for me, I've been giving it my all for 30 years and it looks much easier, you know, to do that than the other way. Absolutely. Right, and, so and I'm not, I'm not going to... Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you're, you're more grateful. You're helping other people out. It's yeah, right. it's a much better right. system. So, so, so I'm not, I, you know, I never think about, well, how am I going to live in that world? Cause I know I'm not going to live in that world. You know, right. one way or another, uh, you know, who knows how the civil disobedience will go down, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. I have to tell you during the swine flu. So I was a big leader of the fight on the swine flu vaccine. Yeah. And uh, and they they finally got it mandated in Massachusetts, which is always sort of the worst state. And um, I called an ally of mine in Middle Tennessee who's got this huge compound and all these different, you know, he's got like seven families who are all an extended family together. And I said, Franklin, um, you know, if they try and mandate this in Tennessee, can I bring my guns and come over there? Because Apparently, I'm going to die in a gunfight. I'd rather die in a gunfight with you guys than die in a gunfight by myself. He said, oh, yeah, come on over. We're going to have a big old gunfight. And, and, and I think what happened was the NSA heard so many of those conversations, they backed off. Wow. They just backed off. Wow. Anyway, but, but, but anyway, so I don't, I don't worry about living in that world because I don't think I'll be alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez anyway well, well on the note of swine flu i know edge you had a question pertaining to health and pandemics yeah and also speaking of backing off because of the public outrage i mean we see 
the COVID narrative is collapsing and COVID jabs and mandates are losing steams. Even Bill Gates admitted at the World Economic Forum conference recently that COVID passports don't make any sense because the jab doesn't prevent infection or transmission. So, at, but at the same time, we know that they're going full steam ahead with their end game plans of digital ID, digital currency, social credit system. So how do you think they plan to get to their goal? Will they revive COVID or should we look out for another so-called emergency? So this is a marketing plan. Okay. Yep. And the marketing plan, remember when they market something like central control, they don't have one marketing plan. They have thousands of marketing plans. It's like Baxton Robbins. They got a flavor for every market oh, yeah. segment, you know, and that's what, one of the reasons we have to talk about Bitcoin. Anyway, so, so <laughs> they have a need, you know, they have a marketing plan for every, and they tried vaccine passports that didn't work. So Macron was floating food coupons, but they're doing digital ID and they're trying to figure know. out, oh, there's war. So we need IDs, you know, they're they're trying all these different things and 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 they're looking for the path of least resistance and they haven't found it yet but they're going to keep on coming until we either you know it, this is this is a war and it's for all the marbles so we're going to have to to break the the technocracy vision of total central control or they'll figure out something. I mean, right now it looks to me like they're working hot and heavy on food coupons. They're not ready to do them, but, but what they want is you can't transact except through a CBDC. And if you, if you don't transact through a CBDC, you can't get food. Right. Yep. So, so if you look at everything they're doing to centralize control of the food system, I always thought once they lost oil that the Anglo-American Alliance would try and replace it with food. And I still think that's what they're trying to do. But, but they were hoping that would happen much sooner. It's gone much more slowly. And uh, it's, it's been a very frustrating process for them. And, you know, we need to do everything we, we can do to make it impossibly frustrating for them. But they're going to keep coming until we absolutely stop it. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think is going to happen with the elections out here? <laughs> So the number one question I think is, will there be an election? And my mm -hmm. answer is, yeah, there will be an election. And I think, um, you know, traditionally the Republicans have been better at rigging elections than the Democrats. Now, the last time around, the Democrats did a better job. And one of the reasons was the Republican candidate didn't have the loyalty of the Republican machinery. You know, he'd hurt a lot of feelings over the prior four years. Mm -hmm. And the question is, can you know, can the Republicans not get out Fox this time? If, if right. the Republicans don't get out Fox, if you look at the polls, you're going to have an unbelievable Republican landslide. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then the question is, you're going to have a lot of people who want to protect the Constitution. They want to protect the Second Amendment. They want to protect free speech. They don't want to be a member of the WHO. You know, if it would get me out of the WHO, I'd vote for Trump again. So... You know, so the question is, can the Republicans do a good job of leadership? If they do, there's going to be a landslide. If they put DeSantis in as the candidate for president, they're going to win the White House. They're going to have a majority of the governor's house. They're going to have a majority in the House. They're going to have a majority in the Senate. It's going to be an absolute slaughter. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that all goes. So, okay. So 
if we leave people with some, uh, oh, well, wait, let me back up. The, or the, what you were just talking about early, when we first started out and you were talking about um, in the quarterly wrap up and the report that you're working on for legislators, is that going to be available to the public or is that through subscriber? No, that's going to be subscriber only. Although the, the, the one for legislators, we may make public. Okay. So now the other thing I wanted to mention, and I think you've got a copy of it, Corey, we did the third quarter wrap up. We did one on taxation because the biggest issue in front of the, the, mm -hmm. the state legislators is, you know, are right now a significant amount of every state's GDP is working through the federal budget. So 50% or more of the people in many states are dependent on federal checks. Right. And everyone's paying federal taxes and the federal government is spending the money illegally and is seriously outside the laws related to financial management. And that has to be dealt with. You can't afford to pay a governmental entity 10,000, you know, if every one of your citizens is paying five to $10,000 a year on average to a federal government that is using that money to do something that bankrupts them or poisons them, mm -hmm. the economics of that can never work. Now, the beauty of this is the federal government is in serious violation of multiple financial laws. And so there is a basis upon which a state legislator can say, um, we're gonna escrow all federal taxes in a state governed you know, or court governed trust. Hmm. And we're gonna send you the federal government a check for the, you know, for the federal debt and the military but with respect to all other payments, we'll take care of them here because mm. we're not gonna run it through a, a bureaucracy that is breaking the law. We can't do that. So you know what we need? We need what you just said and then the other information pertaining to legislators around the financial and economic system to where everyone can print it out and sign it and send it out to all their legislators right. so that they're right. just all getting the same you so know, that's same what we did with that's what we did with the COVID-19 forms, like the family financial disclosure form, which we just updated. Yeah. And um, if you want to, if you want to understand the taxation piece, that's public because, you know, in public policy, we like to make these things public. If you go to ourmoney.salary.com slash taxation, mm -hmm. you'll get the whole presentation as well as a discussion. My general counsel, Carolyn Betts and I wrote it. And, um, and we have a discussion that introduces it. And then the whole, whole piece is there. You can print it out. There's a PDF, you can give it to your state legislator. Um, uh, but we, what we'll do is we will endeavor to take what we publish in the second quarter wrap up and convert it to something you can just sign. Now, here's the problem though. You know, If Texas does have a depository or Tennessee has canceled the sales tax on precious metals, you know, mm -hmm. the idea letter is going to be one that has some understanding of what the jurisdiction is. Okay. Okay. So, so if we, if we, what, what would be like the top three things you would suggest to people to do right now, just to prepare themselves as far as financial um, assets? I mean, obviously I know, so the first thing I would say is, who's your sheriff? Mm -hmm. What is your jurisdiction and who enforces within your jurisdiction? And are you in a good jurisdiction 
with somebody who enforces that you can trust? And are you working to help to make sure that person is supported locally? Yeah. You know, forget the presidential election. You need to worry about who your sheriff is and you need to have a great relationship with your sheriff. Right. Or, or if, you know, there are a few places in the country that don't have sheriffs or your local enforcement, but you need to understand your jurisdiction. And if you're in a jurisdiction with serious high risk, you need to get out and move if you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Out of cities. Pardon out, me? Out of cities, particularly, right? Uh, you know, I would get out of cities, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I would get out of cities. Um, when, so I went through a process of, for 11 years where I litigated with the federal government, but I lived through a very serious physical harassment, very serious legal and financial harassment. I mean, it was what the, you know, the African-American neighborhoods used to call the beatdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was dealing with serious beatdown and, and it was unbelievably stressful. And I got offered in 1998 the opportunity to make a quickie deal with the Department of Justice, but I had to agree to let them keep all the money they had stolen from me. And I refused to do that. I said, there's a line between, you know, there's a line between slavery and freedom. And, you know, this is the line and I'm not going to go along with it. And I thought, well, you know, if I fight, you're never supposed to be able to win these situations. Now, essentially we won, um, but that's considered to be almost impossible. So I thought, because I'm one of those people who, who doesn't like litigation and fighting. And, you know, I always saw it as a waste of time. So I, I went off and I spent a week and I really thought very seriously about, you know, can I do this? Can I really fight? And after a week, I concluded, you know, I have, I have the training. I have the physical stamina. I have the the interest, the intellectual capacity. But what I don't know is if I can, I can do this fight to win and still have the capacity to love when it's over. Right. And there's a great scene in the third season of Yellowstone where uh, the protagonist, John Dutton, played by Kevin Costner, turns to his son and he says, you know, you know, son, the trick to beating evil is you got to be more evil than evil, but then you got to be able to love your family and enjoy a sunset. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the challenge. You know, I'm hearing a lot of feedback, particularly from America, that people are losing their love and you cannot lose your faith. You cannot lose your hope. You cannot lose your love. So I think the big question before us is, how do we play to win this and not lose our love? Because you're dealing with very serious evil here. Right. And, and we have to be able to defeat evil and look it in the eye and deal with it and not run from it. But we need to come at it with divine authority because that is the only way we can win. Right. And, and it's a real trick to, um, to face evil without losing your love. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I'm seeing that too. Just a lot of, a lot of anger and hate out there. It's, it's hard to watch. I don't know. The, the, 
the, one of the greatest things that happened to me is I took serious training before I left Washington in spiritual warfare. Mm. And I was looking in the mirror one day and I realized, you know, you're dying. You're physically dying because the toxicity levels were getting so high and the stress was so great. So I said, I need another plan. And so I said, well, I'm going to study who's been targeted in this way and, and who won and who lost and why, you know, cause I need a, I need different strategies. What I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. And I studied all the people this had been done to and communities. And what I realized was they lost because their anger killed them. Yeah. And, and they lost the ability to rock and roll. They lost the ability to start conspiracies. You mm -hmm. know, we're up against conspiracies and we need to get good at starting them and running them. Right. And, and, and I realized, oh, you know, I've got to figure out how to play to win here at a much higher mind than I know how to do because the anger was killing me. Mm -hmm. And I went to this fabulous church and I studied spiritual warfare for almost three years. Seriously, wow. did a Bible wow. Institute and that training, I can't tell you what that training did for me. It was incredible. And, you know, they always say the only person who can see Jesus are drowning men. <laughs> but the reason I try, you know, I would learn these tactics in, in class and I think this will never work. And then I try it and then it would work. And I would go, oh, my God, you know, the universe is constructed very differently because I was a Wall Street material girl. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't think. Oh well, you just pray and it'll all change. So, so th these were all very new phenomena to me, and yet I discovered they work. Absolutely yeah. right. So, I, you know, so we're going to have to come at this in a whole different way because at the at the root, it is a spiritual war. Right, hundred percent. Absolutely. Right. So getting anyway. so getting out of the cities and and. Um, I'm trying and to remember where we were. Sheriff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sheriff. You're talking about the sheriff. Yeah, so number one, sorry. Number one is sheriff. <laughs> number two is think of everybody always tells you about the compound, you know, the compound power of compound interest. Right. Well, it's the same with high integrity people. You've mm -hmm. got to get you've got to get low integrity people and and players out of your life. Mm -hmm. And you've got to get high integrity players into your life. And you're gonna to have to start conspiracies you know whether it's you know conspiracies to organize and do local food together or conspiracies to you know go out and talk talk all the small business into doing cash or barter with you you know there's thousands of things to do um but 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 you're gonna have to do them organized with other people and to do that you have to have really high high quality players the third right. thing you need to do is you need to have a map of the world that has two primary sections. One's called the official narrative and the other is called reality. And you have to be ruthless about using reality for your risk management and your investments. You know, but if you're gonna go to a community gathering or cocktail party, you need to be able to use the official narrative because it may not right. be safe to use reality there. Right. Right. So we live in a multiple personality disorder world and you need a map that is great because if you want to see the people who are failing, they're using the official narrative for their risk management investment. 
and they're using reality at the cocktail party and they're getting killed in both places. Hmm. Good way to put it. Right. And the way, the hardest part for all of us is we have, you know, lots of family and friends who are committed to using the official narrative for their, for their risk management and their healthcare and, and all these other things. And we can't, so we're going to have to split. And I know it's very painful, but you know, it's a divide at some point where you just have to go with the people who know how to play to win on risk management. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a pain, as you know, that's painful. Um, but one of my favorite scriptures is the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And you're going to need to hunker down and gather and start to get things done with righteous people. That's how it's going to work. Absolutely. So, 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 and then finally, you can't lose your faith, your hope, your love. You got to nurture those at all costs. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So to me, those are some of the big rules. Now, if you, if you look at your money, there are no magic bullets here because we don't have a financial problem. We have a governance problem and there's no financial solution for bad governance and lawlessness. Because ultimately, if, if the law completely breaks down, the only asset you have that has any value is the asset you can protect with a gun. Mm. Right? Right. Or right. an army. So, you know, and that's why it's so important to say, you know, who's my army? Who's the army I'm going to count on, which we circle back to who's your sheriff? But if you look right. at the assets, they're, they're, you know, if you look at the asset categories, we have real estate. We have equities, we have cash or cash equivalents. Um, we have, obviously we have bonds, but I would just delete that category entirely <laughs> because we've got a serious debt credit problem. And then of course we have private venture and my favorite category is people because I'm a big people investor. Um, anyway, every one of those asset categories, what you're looking for is something that is real and endorsed. Mm-hmm. And you're not you're not looking to invest in something which is not going to endure. It's not real. It's some kind of speculative bubble, or it's just financing your enemy to help them control. Right. You know, I can't tell you, Corey. You know how many people are basically financing or using as a corporate service the guy who wants to put them in a digital concentration camp, and they're either building or financing their own digital concentration camp. So. I, you know, I was trained on Wall Street, never bet against yourself, never finance your enemy. Right. Well, one of the biggest questions I get from people is, you know, they have retirement funds, they've got a portfolio. And if they try to take their money out of there, then they get hit with massive taxes. So how do they get to their money? How do they move it? You know, that's, I think, one of the big struggles. Right. So, so whenever you have retirement accounts, some of those accounts can be moved and some of those accounts can't. Mm-hmm. But even the ones that can't be moved, there is usually a way, and sometimes you have to work with a plan to get it uh, to agree to let you put it into a financial product that invests more or less in real things. So right. there is a way to invest in equities where you're investing in really good companies and really good things. If you think the market's going to go down, there's a way to do it where you can hedge. Okay, so you can run a hedged equity portfolio. Um, So, you know, but but again, you're going to have to there's a whole lot of stuff in the stock market 
you know, that I wouldn't touch, but there's a whole lot of stuff in the stock market I think is great. And people always say to me, yeah, but the fundamental custodian market system is corrupt. And I say, yeah, but so is the mail. So is everything I depend on. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, if you, if you look at a good equity portfolio, you know, you've got a lot of great companies that can endure and can go the distance. Um, precious metals, the same. There's a way to do precious metals where you can lose your shirt and there's a way to do precious metals that's terrific. I've got an article up on my website called, uh, if you do a search, it's what percentage of my assets should I hold in precious metals? But mm. don't, don't think precious metals is a magic bullet. It's not a magic bullet. Right. You know, if you, again, the problem we're up against is political. We're going to have to organize and, and produce a political solution. I always tell a story, you've heard me tell this story, where um, I had a, a wonderful client who's fairly wealthy and she sold a valuable piece of real estate. And she called me and she said, I, should I roll it in real estate or precious metals or equities? What should I do? And um, she used to be a client. Now she's a friend. And I said to her, what's the point of having assets if you don't have an army to protect them? Right. And I said, you ought to use that money to finance your army. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have an army, you're not making it. Yeah. So, I, you know, there are many stories I've told about financing people who then turned around and saved my life. It used to drive me crazy when people would come to see me as an investment advisor and they had, you know, millions of dollars in the, in a brokerage account financing the national security state. They had been persuaded that they needed at least $25 million before they could take a dime out because, you know, that's how much they needed for a safe retirement. Mm -hmm. And meantime, their kids were struggling. And when that money could have started businesses or bought them homes, I thought, you know, who's going to, who's going to be there? Who can you count on? You know, when it's time to get your bug out bag and go, it's not the national hey. security state. What are you doing? Finance, right. Right. You know, build the family, build family wealth for God's sakes. Anyway. Yeah. Um, for some people, real estate's a great investment. For other people, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to take care of it, or they're in a lousy jurisdiction, or they don't know a good real estate person who can manage it for them. So again, there's no magic bullet. And one of the things that drives me crazy is you, you learn when you work with money that everybody's different. And, and what uh, an asset allocation that you do for one person is totally different than an asset allocation you do for another person. You know, it relates to their age, it relates to their temperament, what they're comfortable with, you know, where, what they want to do in this life, what their family is, what their other, you know, it gets very, very complicated. All right. If anybody tries to give you generic advice about you ought to do this or you ought to do that, tell them to go jump in a lake. You know, <laughs> they have no idea what they're talking about because in a decentralized world, you're unique. Right. I would never, if, if most of my clients had invested the way I invest, I would have killed them <laughs> because, because, you know, I have a different purpose than they do. Right. So, you know, well, I invested all my money in achieving my purpose and that's, you know, and that was a great investment for me and it's working, but, but it wouldn't work for someone else. So right. anyway. There are plenty of sound ways to invest money these days. What there is not is a way for you to do it without thinking. You can't walk up to a vending machine, put in a quarter, get a financial plan and do it and be successful. And I'll tell you why. There are two parts to any investment strategy 
And I always tell people, you're not looking for an investment strategy. You're looking for a war strategy. If, if I took the average family wealth of a fairly financially secure family and I did an absolutely genius idea of investing it and getting the best yields you can get on the best inside deals, I could never make enough money on that investment process to offset the cost of a serious vaccine injury. Right. And the message is risk management will make you far more money in this environment than smart investment. Okay. So your number one goal, if you want to build family wealth is to be a genius at risk management, you know, and I'll just, I'm just going to put in a plug. If you want to do that, one of the people you ought to read is Corey Wynn at Corey Diggs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the Solari report. That's right. Well, that's what, you know, so, so our tagline is actionable intelligence to live a free and inspired life. And the number one thing you need to be free and to, um, and, and to protect yourself, you know, the biggest risk in America is that you're going to be drained by what I call the great poisoning. And if you don't proactively defend to protect yourself and your family, get the great poisoning, whatever money you can make investments or by working hard is going to, is going to get drained out of the risk side on health. Yeah. So, so that's why risk management is everything. One of my favorite pieces, Corey, I don't know if I ever told you this in the early part of COVID, you had this wonderful piece. You were talking to all these nurses and they were telling you about the sickness they were seeing. Right. And your feedback was exactly the same feedback, I, you know, because we have a lot of nurses and doctors and healthcare practitioners, and you were getting very similar feedback to what we were getting. Yeah. And it was a great piece. And I remember hearing you say that you got criticized for soundly because everybody was saying, oh, you know, the magic virus is just a hoax. Right. And and whatever was going on, whatever was seeding the operation, mm-hmm. you know, real people were getting, you know, the great poisoning was making people sick. Right. Right. And uh-huh. you were dealing with it at the level of complexity we need to have actionable intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There were a lot of brave, wonderful people that talked to me during that. And I really appreciated that because, you know, a lot of people were not wanting to come forward or say what's going on behind the scenes there. So, right. And what was happening was strange. Very, very Very strange. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Finally, we've been. No, thank you. And congratulations on the CBDC paid uh, article. It was really well done. Everybody should read it. And it's, uh, you know, you need to turn the ship before you hit the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And I think pieces like that really tell people, look, this is now you got to take this seriously. And this is really, really bad. Right. So I appreciate um, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I will I be talk talking with off. you soon. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was great to finally meet you, Catherine. I've followed okay. your work. I really appreciate it. And you've just been a wealth of information and insight. So thank you. We will uh, leave some links in the description for, below for people to find you. Or you can, can you please tell our audience how they can find you? 
Yeah. So just go to Solaria.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I just have to put in a plug, Corey, <laughs> they should go to your website and buy <laughs> vaccine passports. <laughs> right thank you (laughs) for risk management that's right (laughs) right but it it brings home you know i think you read that book and you suddenly you start getting all this digital crap out of your life right oh yeah yeah you can't you can't back out of the control grid unless you see it Mm -hmm. and the the cbdc piece that you wrote or the um or the the vaccine passport piece you see the grid and you start to say, oh, maybe I should back out of this before the lock comes. Right. Right. Definitely. That's what we're here for is to give that warning to the people to prepare and put their uh, personal situations in order before that actually does happen. So they're not caught off guard. And you've been such an awesome resource for warning the people about all of these things that are coming down the pipe. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening here on Dig It. Please be mm-hmm. sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.